I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billy's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to, like, choose a more challenging route than just, like, da-da-da-da. You know what I'm saying? Like, it could have been, like, easier. And a lot of people have asked me, like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and, like, so simple? And what else was it going to—like, that's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club. The 2020 MLB season will be won like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting podcast with Greg Peterson. A warm hello, welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, got a terrific podcast for you as we're not going to have a guest today because the MLB trade deadline just came and passed. So in the second segment, I'm just going to do a roundup of all the moves that we wound up seeing. That way, you know all the familiar faces that are going to be in new places, what it means to all these teams. So we're going to do about a nice 13, 14 minutes there just so that way you guys know the adjustments that you need to make with regards to your rosters, your handicapping what have you. I think that that's the best use of that in this podcast today because it certainly is going to have a big impact of what we see for the next four or so weeks leading up to the postseason. And then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys a sign total on every game on Tuesday's MLB betting board and a little something I like to call touch them all. And because it was a trade deadline yesterday that came and passed, we are seeing a lot of these games off the board as I do this podcast. So just be alert of that. And as always, if you have a question that you like answered on this fine podcast, you fire that into my Twitter timeline at JRSquarty1. You can also send these questions via an Apple Podcast review. 
by rating five stars on Apple Podcasts on this fine podcast, Baseball Winning Podcast. You give me a little bit more exposure, and I'm always happy to answer those. And I do appreciate all of you guys that have rated five stars. So, as always, if you're able to do that, it is something that is always greatly appreciated. Just make sure that you don't send these questions via direct message, aka DM, because those letters DM to me does not matter. Did not get in any today, but we did see that dogs are barking in baseball on Monday. So, let's take a look at that. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. By my count, underdogs went 7-3 and three in Major League Baseball on Monday. Now, it might be 6-4 and four depending on your closing line and a couple of those more pick'em games, but certainly was a good day for underdogs, and it was let off by the Miami Marlins taking down the New York Mets by a count of 5-3. to three. Jacob DeGrom did not necessarily look as terrific as he normally does. Now, he was hurt by a fielding error by Pete Alonzo in the sixth inning, but regardless, Miami Marlins wind up getting a 5-3 win for DeGrom. He winds up giving up four runs, but only one of which was earned over the course of six innings, and he did give up a deep fly being able to get a home run off of Jacob DeGrom. Garrett Cooper, who is back in the fold for this team, his second of the campaign, and then Brad Anderson later in the game off of Brad Brock would get his eighth home run of the campaign as Brock really gave up the only run out of the bullpen for the Mets. They go three innings, and they give up one run. And for the New York Mets, two of ten with men in scoring position. They have the Todd Father, Todd Frazier, coming back into the fold for this team, so that'll hopefully help them out. But Robinson Cano, don't you know that this guy is doing really well? He gets his sixth home run of the campaign. That came off the bullpen of the Miami Marlins as Alex Vesia wound up giving that up. But for the Miami Marlins, Bullpen winds up going in combined four innings, giving up one run as Emi Garcia and Brandon Kitzler were able to close the door. And Trevor Rogers, young prospect for the Marlins. Not a bad start in this one. He winds up going five innings. He gives up two runs in the process. And for the Miami Marlins, they're currently 15-15. and 15, So they've actually been able to do quite a good job, and they're playing a little bit of catch-up when it comes to being able to get these games in. The Baltimore Orioles, as an underdog, were able to take down the Toronto, a.k.a. Buffalo Blue Jays by a count of 4-3 in 11 innings. For the Toronto Blue Jays and the Baltimore Orioles, just not a lot to doing with men in scoring position for the Toronto Blue Jays. 1 of 13 with that regard for the Baltimore Orioles. They weren't a whole heck of a lot better at 3 of 16, but with that said, they were able to get a actually good start out of Keegan Aiken. He was making his first career start. Four and a third innings for him. Now, he did give up two runs, but both of them were unearned runs. As a matter of fact, all three Toronto Blue Jays runs were unearned runs because they did wind up scoring a run in the 11th inning, but that was off the ghost runner as the Cesar Valdez experiment for the Baltimore Orioles in the bullpen actually going quite well. He did give up that unearned run, but he wound up getting the win in this one. Dylan Tate was able to go two and a third innings out of the bullpen as well. This is a Baltimore team that they're trying to adjust to life without Michael Givens, but they were giving... Toronto very much fits when it comes to being at the plate and for the Toronto Blue Jays. Chase Anderson actually gets started in this one. Five innings pitch. He does give up one run. Wilmer Fon out of the bullpen has had a rough year. 982 ERA. He gives up a run. But then past that, you did have Anthony Pass get taken hook, line, and sinker in this one. He winds up going one inning, giving up two runs, one of which was earned. But Rafael Dolis, A.J. Cole, Tom Hatch, along with Baruki of the bullpen. They were all able to do a solid job, just not a lot doing for either team at the plate in this one, so that was very fascinating. And for the Baltimore Orioles, they had lost five straight games going into this one, so that was nice for them. The Seattle Mariners get their second straight win over the scuffling LA Angels by kind of 2-1 to one for the Seattle Mariners. They were able to get a deep fly in this one that really lifted them to victory from Jose Marmolois who gets his second home run of the road trip and his fourth of the campaign for the Seattle Mariners. Mr. Marco Gonzalez, a complete game. He does give up one run. That one run was a home run. It's going deep for the LA Angels. The ever-so-scuffling Justin Upton, his fourth home run of the season, even though he's still hitting a buck 38. But for the LA Angels... 
Jaime Barilla wound up making the start in this one four and a third innings. He gives up one run in the process. That was not bad. Matt Andres winds up giving up around the bullpen, so they were able to do a solid job, but just nothing doing for them on offense. They wind up getting a grand total of four hits. They wound up selling off Jason Castro and Tommy Lasella at the trade deadline, so they certainly have been having a little bit of an issue there. Another team that's having an issue, that'd be the Pittsburgh Pirates. They wind up losing to the Milwaukee Brewers by kind of 6-5. to five. Josh Hader, after he wound up walking five in his last outing, was able to do a better job of closing the door. He winds up striking out the side in the ninth inning for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They were able to get a home run off the bat of Eric Gonzalez at his third of the campaign as Brent Suter winds up getting his first start in the neon. He winds up going three innings and giving up two runs, including that home run. From there, Drew Rasmussen gave up a run out of the bullpen. This is a Brewers team that they also wound up trading Josh Phelps at the trade deadline as well. I really didn't hit that in the second segment, but that is going to hurt the Brewers a little bit. And for Freddie Peralta, he winds up giving up two runs while recording four outs in the process. But for the Brewers, they were able to say, hip hip hurrah, Keston Hira, who winds up getting his eighth home run of the season. For the Pittsburgh Pirates, it was Trevor Williams that gave that up as he did not have his good stuff in this one. He gives up five runs three, which were earned over the course of four innings. And bullpen was actually quite solid. Nick Turley gave up around the bullpen, but by and large, they go four innings, giving up one run. So they were certainly able to get the job done there. And for the Milwaukee Birds, this is just a team that has been very, very confusing, to say the least, as they've been able to give the Pittsburgh Pirates over half their wins so far this year. A team that has just been owned recently, that would be the Cincinnati Reds, as they are now 15-20. and 20. They wind up losing to the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 7-5. If you, like me, had the under, well, you are not very happy with Eugenio Suarez, as he winds up getting his eighth home run of the campaign that came off of... Jake Woodford, which, by the way, sounds like a very good whiskey, but for Dakota Hudson, he was aging like a fine wine in this one, as in seven innings, he gives up two runs, one of which was earned. You then, from there, had Austin Gomber give up a run on the bullpen, so they were able to do a rock-solid job for the St. Louis Cardinals. They wind up leaving nine men on base, but Paul DeYoung has really been able to give this team a little bit of a spark. He gets his second run on the campaign, as Anthony DiScalfani did not have it in this one. For the second time in his last four starts, he gives up a touchdown at minimum. Three and two-thirds innings, he gives up seven runs off, which were earned. Michael Lorenzen from there was terrific. Four innings of relief. He doesn't give up a run. And then you wind up having an out of the bullpen. Four outs from Nate Jones as well. But for the Cincinnati Reds, this is a team that they've been playing a few overs recently. And it's not necessarily due to their great play as for the Cincinnati Reds. They have played now four out of their last five games to the over. But with that said... They have given up six runs or more now four out of their last five games, so things not necessarily going to plan there. Things not going to plan for the Washington Nationals as the defending champions are now 12-20. and 20. They wind up losing to the Philadelphia Phillies by a count of 8-6. to six. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, this is an offense that certainly has been igniting. They have scored at minimum four runs in each out of their last four games as they wind up being able to get a couple deep flies in this one, including one off the bat of Reese Hoskins. For Hoskins, his sixth home run of the campaign for Jay Bruce, his fifth. Those both came off of Eric Fetty Wap, who was able to give some distance for the Washington Nationals in this one going six innings, but... In the process, he gave up six runs, including those two home runs. From there, Wander, I swear, oh, this guy sucks, winds up giving up two runs over the course of an inning. He's got a 5.54 ERA, and Sean Doolittle is doing very little for his ERA, but a scoreless inning in this one, so you have to start somewhere as he's got a 9.64 ERA. Meanwhile, for the Nationals, they were able to play a little bit of deep ball themselves in this one. You had Juan Soto going deep twice. His 10th and 11th home runs of the campaign, he went off of Spencer Howard and Brandon Workman for those. Trey Turner down for what gets his 7th. That was off of Heath Embry. 
Anith Embry offered one up to Michael A. Taylor. His third as for Embry. It was not necessarily a great outing as he wound up giving up those two solo home runs while recording one out. Meanwhile, for Spencer Howard, actually a good showing. He hasn't necessarily been terrific as I know that a lot of the scouting and the prospectors have been expecting, but he seems to be rounding in a form five innings pitch. He gives up two runs in this one. And then you had Brandon Workman giving up that home run. He gives up two runs in the process. But for the Washington Nationals, this is a team that they very much have been giving up a whole bunch of runs recently. It has not been good for them as they have given up at least five runs in each other last three games and for that matter if you go back a little bit further in five out of their last seven the Cleveland Indians have not been giving up a lot of runs they are the top under team out there in baseball as two-thirds of their games have went under but they lose with Shane Bieber fever on the mound two to one the final in this one for Bieber he did all that he could he gave out a couple too many walks but six innings pitch he gives up one hit he punches out nine Phil Maiden came out of the bullpen he was solid along with Nick Wickram but James Karinchek seems to be wearing down a little bit for the Indians he winds up giving up the two runs out of the bullpen for the Cleveland Indians, nothing doing for them on offense. 0 of 6 with runners in scoring position. And for the Kansas City Royals, they wind up going 2 of 7 with runners in scoring position. They strand 9, but they get a great start out of Brad Thunder Keller. 6 in the third innings, he gives up one run. From there, Scott Barlow, Greg Holland, they were able to close the door and get the Kansas City Royals as a... a North of $2 underdog to the window. The Tampa Bay Rays as an underdog were able to get to the window as well. They are now 7-1 and one against the New York Yankees so far this year. 5-3 to three, the final in this one. For the Tampa Bay Rays, Tyler Glasson was terrific. He punches out 9 over the course of 6 innings, giving up 2 hits. Now I will say, they probably left in their reliever, Edgar Garcia, a little bit too long. 1 plus inning for him. He winds up giving up 3 runs, including a deep ball to Luke Voigt. For Voigt, that is his 13th home run of the campaign. And Gio Urshela was able to add in a bomb off of Garcia as well as 6. But for Garrett Cole... He now leads the American League, giving up 12 home runs. He goes five innings in this one. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned. Now has for the year a 391 ERA after having a 220 last year. And hopefully I'm saying this name correctly, but Miguel Yajur winds up coming into this game for three scoreless innings. He did a few three walks, but he was able to do a solid job there. And for the New York Yankees, Nick Nelson wound up coming in for an inning. He gave up a run as well. And the Rays, two home runs off of Mr. Garrett Kevin Kiermeyer is second of the campaign, and G-Man Choi is third as the Rays wound up leaving 13 men on base. So it actually could have been significantly worse for the Yankees, who are a team that has been scuffling a little bit. They have lost eight out of their last 11 games. Now, another team that has been up and down so far this year, that would be the Boston Red Sox, but they wind up losing to the Atlanta Braves by kind of 6-3. to three. Max Freed, not his best start of the year, but he gives up two runs over the course of five innings. Bullpen from there was solid. Will Smith gave up a run on the bullpen, but Darren O'Day, along with Chris Martin and Mark Melanson, all delivered scoreless innings for the Atlanta Braves. They wind up having Adam Duvall go yard. His fifth home run campaign that powered the team to victory despite going 3 of 15 with men in scoring position for the Boston Red Sox. Colton Brewer gets the start and did not go as planned. Four innings pitch. He gives the five runs of which were earned. Gotta give it up to the Boston bullpen. It's actually been a little bit better recently. They go a grand total of five innings. They give up one run as the man that gave up that run. Robinson Lear. I believe that this was his first career appearance at the age of 27. Never really a highly touted prospect, but he was able to do a solid job there, so certainly some strange times for the Boston Red Sox and for the Atlanta Braves. This is an offense that is starting to ignite. We saw what they were able to do on Sunday Night Baseball, but this is a team that they have scored a grand total of 18 runs over the last two games, so that has been certainly something to watch. A offense that has scored at least six runs in, I believe now, 
eight out of their last 12 games. That'd be the Chicago White Sox. They take down the Minnesota Twins by a count of eight to five. The Minnesota Twins had been the top under team at home so far this year, but for the White Sox, they go four of 20 with runners in scoring position, but Luis Robert was able to get a big home run. His 10th of the campaign, they just had so many opportunities that they were able to barge the door down. Lucas Giolito was coming off a no-hitter in his last outing, and in this one, he winds up giving up four runs, but only two of which were earned. He was hurt by a trio of errors. One of them was his own, but Adam Engel and Nick Madrigal also had an error in this one, so there was that. And then from there, the bullpen was able to do a solid job. Cody Hewer winds up giving up a run in the bullpen, but then you have Jace Fry, Matt Foster, and Alex Colome being able to hold things down for the Minnesota Twins. Richel did not deliver the length that they expected. Three and a third innings gives up two runs, but he had given up three hits. Four walks in the process, and from there, Ty Duffy, Tyler Clifford, Trevor Mace, Submergio Romo, and Trevor Rogers had to come into the game, and for Trevor Rogers, it was not his best showing, as he winds up giving up three runs, all unearned, by the way, in an inning, as Max Kepler had a terrible error out there in the field that really cost this team the game. A team that was costed the game, that'd be the Colorado Rockies, because it's hard to win when you don't score a single run. They lose the San Diego Padres by kind of 6-0. to The Padres, by the way, a team that really beefed up their lineup. You had Austin Supernola out there, the former Seattle Mariner. He wound up going 1-3 of three in this game, but for the San Diego Padres, they wind up leaving just 5 men on base, and Will Myers is able to get his ninth home run of the campaign that came off of one. But Ivan Marquez, who wound up giving up 5 runs over the course of 6 innings, including that home run. The bullpen of the Rockies has been pretty solid as Yancey Almonte, two scoreless innings. Jeff Hoffman gave up around the bullpen, but for the Colorado Rockies, did not score at Coors Field is just absolutely embarrassing. I mean, this is a team that they wound up getting seven hits in this one for the San Diego Padres, Garrett Richards. Not necessarily a long start in this one. He and Adrian Morion wound up combining for six and two-thirds innings. The, neither one of them gave up a run, and then from there, you had Drew Pomerantz, the newly acquired Trevor Rosenthal, and Pierce Johnson being able to close the door, so that was obviously good for the Padres. And what else was very good was the fact that you wound up having so many fireworks going on when it came to the MLB trading deadline on Monday, including a big move with the Cleveland Indians sending Mike Clevenger to the San Diego Padres. The Padres were at the center of a lot of what we saw. So coming up next, I'm just going to give you guys a roundup as to all the moves that we saw from the trade deadline, a little bit of what it means for all these teams to just allow you guys to take out a pen and paper, write these all down, and be able to adjust your handicapping accordingly. That's on the other side, right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Doug Peterson. here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Bank Podcast. Myself, Craig Peterson. There were a lot of people that could not join me for an interview today because they were all wrapped up in the trade deadline. So I figured I would take this time in the podcast, not necessarily too long, but just give you guys what you need to know about all the moves that were made at the trade deadline. A couple of these will be moves that were made a few days earlier, but obviously these are going to be very important because you're going to need to adjust your lineups, your handicapping accordingly. So I do think that this is something that'll be very productive and just better than getting on a normal generic guest. So we're just going to round it up. Obviously, I've been talking about this on the podcast. The Phillies just completely overhauling the bullpen. We know that the Boston Red Sox bullpen is now terrible because Heath Embry, Brandon Workman are all the fold, and instead they get Nick Bavetta, so it's going to be interesting to see if he winds up pitching for the Boston Red Sox at all this season. Taiwan Walker wound up going to the Toronto Blue Jays. We saw him make his debut against the Baltimore Orioles a couple days ago. He looked pretty stellar in that one. 
for the Seattle Mariners, they didn't acquire very much. And they also pretty much just gave away Daniel Vogelback, someone who's right now hitting a 0.88 for the season. I've got to think that that actually downgrades the Toronto Blue Jays lineup because Daniel Vogelback, if you date it back to like the middle of June of 2019, he's hitting like a buck 60. I mean, this guy has been absolutely terrible. I don't understand why anyone wants him right now. He's like six foot three, 270 pounds. He moves like he's got a trailer on his back and he's not putting the ball in play. So, I mean, congratulations there. The White Sox wound up landing Gerard Dyson. The way that that offense is working, you got to think that this is just a guy that you're going to be trotting out there on second base when you wind up getting an opportunity in extra innings. He's probably not going to be used for anything more than that. He's hitting like a buck 57 for the year. We did see Tommy LaSella wind up going for the LA Angels to the Oakland A's. Very rare inside the division move here for Tommy LaSalle. He's been doing a pretty good job so far this year. He's already made an appearance for the Oakland A's, so when they wind up taking the field next, because I believe that, if I'm seeing it correctly, their game for Tuesday is postponed, but he's been hitting right around at 270-ish. He was doing an absolutely terrific job towards the front half of the 2019 season before he wound up getting banged up. He was on pace for just an absolutely huge year. Franklin Barreto is what winds up going back to the LA Angels. We have yet to see him make his debut, and for Barreto, he actually has a little bit of major league experience. He's only hitting a buck 80 for his career though. He really hasn't seen a whole lot of burn so far this year so you do want to keep that in mind but that certainly is a little bit of something for the Oakland A's. Those were really the older moves I guess you could say. You also wound up seeing the Baltimore Orioles selling off a couple bullpen pieces including Michael Givens. He winds up going to the Colorado Rockies. He has actually been quite good so far this year. Michael Givens has been given a lot. 19 punch outs 138 ERA and 12 appearances over the course of 13 innings. Only given up one home run. He's a big reason why the Baltimore Orioles are not completely terrible so far this year, so you've got to give it up to them. You've also got the Padres going out and getting a whole bunch of pieces. That was headlined by Trevor Rosenthal when it comes to the bullpen. With Trevor Rosenthal, he actually has not been bad so far this year. 329 ERA. He was able to get seven saves. We know that it certainly has been the best of times and the worst of times for him. 13 and two-thirds innings over the course of 14 appearances. He has issued seven walks, but the good plus stuff is back with him. He's been able to get 21 punch-outs, so that obviously has been terrific. We know that the Padres' most notable move was going out and getting Mike Clevenger in that trade. Josh Naylor winds up going to the Cleveland Indians. We actually saw him making a appearance in that game on Monday against the Kansas City Royals, so we already know that with Mike Clevenger, you just felt like he was a little bit unwanted because of everything that happened between he and Zach Plesak, and obviously, if you're taking a look at the Cleveland Indians, they wound up acquiring quite a few guys that are not necessarily going to be making too much of an impact this year. Cal Quantrill is someone that they're going to be able to use out of the bullpen, but Gabriel Arias along with Joey Cantillo, these guys are probably not going to be seeing any time at the big league level this year. Austin Hedges probably is, but with Austin Hedges, I mean, he's hitting a buck 58 so far this year, which actually might be an upgrade for the Cleveland Indians because you take a look at Wonder Beto Perez along with Sandy Leon. Both of those guys are hitting below the Mendoza line as well. So congratulations on the Cleveland Indians for getting another catcher that is hitting below the Mendoza line. You've also got the LA Dodgers not buying, but rather selling. They want to training Ross Stripling to the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays in total wound up getting three starters at the trade deadline. Robbie Ray is also heading there. Now with Robbie Ray, my goodness, this guy has been terrible so far this year. 784 ERA, 31 innings and 31 walks. I mean, my goodness, there's a reason why he's been a total fade this year. I've been really targeting guys that have been doing a good job with command because they're able to go a little bit deeper in games. 
And Mr. Robbie Ray, he's knocking himself out in the fourth inning. He's given up a bunch of hard contact. He has been terrible. And I think I'm putting it as politely as possible. So there is that. You wind up also having the Oakland A's out there in the West. I mentioned them a little bit earlier acquiring Tommy LaSalle. They also wind up getting Mike Miner. They wound up selling off a couple prospects for a Texas Rangers team that, let's face it, they are just going nowhere fast so far this year after Fernando Tatis Jr. hit that grand slam and they wound up crying about a 3-0 count because they're, I don't even want to get into any bad names or anything like that, but they're just about a bunch of pouty babies. They're acting like miners because they do wind up selling off Mike Miner. They have just not necessarily been doing a good job. And if you're looking at what Mike Miner is going to be able to bring to the team, he's got a career 395 ERA now. He has been a hot mess so far this year, but in his last start against the LA Dodgers, by far his best of the season. Six scoreless innings against a solid Dodgers team. Now, he was a guy that his fielding independent compared to his ERA during the 2019 season were vastly different. During the 2019 season, he had 359 ERA, but his fielding independent was nearly a full point higher because this is someone that he gives up quite a few fly balls, but pitching out there in Oakland I think is actually going to suit him very well, so I think that that is big for the Oakland A's because we know that Mike Fires and I know that there were a lot of Miner and Fires jokes that were busted out there, but with that said, you take a look at Mike Miner, this is someone that I think he's going to be able to have some success. I kind of take a look at this being the equivalent of them acquiring Homer Bailey slash Shane O'Rourke during the 2019 season, so I do think that that is going to Help this team out. And what I'm really sad about, I mentioned the Arizona Diamondbacks giving away Robbie Ray to the Toronto Blue Jays, but the Marte Parte has been broken up in Arizona. Gosh darn it. The Miami Marlins wind up acquiring Starling Marte, who's been terrific. I mean, with Starling Marte, he's hitting above a 300 so far this year. For his career, he's right around a 290-ish hitter. He had been scuffling a little bit recently for the Arizona Diamondbacks, but I mean, that entire Arizona Diamondbacks lineup, the last, like, week and a half, it has been a hot mess. And then Archie Bradley winds up going to Cincinnati as well. So he is on to Cincinnati. He is someone that has been able to do an okay job so far this year for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He certainly has had a wide variety of roles in his career with the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's made 10 appearances so far this year with a 422 ERA. What we like about him is that he's limited the walks so far this year. Three walks of 12 strikeouts in 10 and two-thirds innings. And he's been doing a little bit of a better job of holding the ball in the yard as well. He has not given up a home run. So I think that that'll be good for a Cincinnati team that they have been just so badly disappointing this year. I mean, the Cincinnati Reds wind up being buyers once again. So it's one of those things where I don't know what to tell you. I just think that they're going to find a way to continue to disappoint. And a man that has not disappointed so far this year, he wound up going to San Diego as well. That'd be Mitch Moreland. He is hitting like a 328 with eight home runs so far this year. He winds up going from Boston to the San Diego Padres. He wound up getting traded for Hudson Potts. I don't know if they're on pot or not for the Boston Red Sox, but they're certainly in rebuild mode. And Jason Rosario. So, Two guys that were probably not going to need to handicap at all so far this year. So there is that. We also saw the Baltimore Orioles wind up giving Tommy Malone to the Atlanta Braves. We already know about Tommy Malone because he wound up making that start on Sunday against the Philadelphia Phillies. And it didn't go as planned as right now his career ERA with the Atlanta Braves is a 27. So a congratulations to him. Certainly not a fireball pitcher. And he's pitching out there in an NL East that is full of a bunch of band boxes. So you got to think that that might not necessarily be the world's greatest thing. Jose Martinez is going to be going from the Tampa Bay Rays to the Chicago Cubs. With Jose Martinez, obviously he has a lot of familiarity with the NL Central. He spent the 2019 season with the St. Louis Cardinals. And he just wasn't doing much for the Tampa Bay Rays so far this year. You take a look at it. He was picking things up a a little bit, but he was hitting right in the neighborhood of a 239, two home runs, 
in 67 at-bats, he's never really been a guy that is going to give you a whole bunch of home runs, but with that said, you just expected a little bit more from him. The Chicago Cubs are a team that they have certainly been having their struggles at the plate, so it's going to be very interesting to see how he winds up fitting in there for the Miami Marlins. It was a very active day for them as they also wound up sending Jonathan VR to the Toronto Blue Jays for the Blue Jays. This is a team that they're looking to get a little bit more average. They are a team that they've got a lot at the top, but some of the guys at the bottom, especially the catcher spot, which obviously Mr. VR does not play, but they have not necessarily been able hit for a lot of average and then speaking of the Marlins they did wind up in that Sterling Marte trade wind up trading away Caleb Smith along with Umberto Mejia for Mejia he is a little bit of a prospect he wasn't necessarily getting the job done when he came to pitching this year and for Caleb Smith he just hasn't necessarily seen the field a lot so far this year he has made one start he wound up going in that start against the Philadelphia Phillies three innings and he just didn't necessarily look like himself so that was very fascinating he's obviously a good swing and miss guy but he's also someone that is going to jack up his walks, so that is something that you take a look at for the Chicago Cubs as well. I spoke about them a second ago. Andrew Chafin and Josh Osich are going to be added to their bullpen. They also pick up Cameron Maben from the Detroit Tigers for Maben. This is someone that has been very interesting to say the least so far this year. It feels like every time the Detroit Tigers had a rally and they were looking to take the lead in a game that I was betting on, he wound up grounding into a double play. He's hitting a 244 for the year. Certainly is not giving the team a whole lot of pop. Two home runs in 41 at-bats, but this is a Chicago team that they're desperate for any sort of offense whatsoever with Josh Osich. He's been having a 7-11 ERA for much of the year, which means that he has always been open to giving up runs for Andrew Chafin. He has certainly had his ups and downs with the Ears and the Diamondbacks, but we know that guys like Craig Kimbrell and company have certainly not been able to get the job done for the Colorado Rockies. They want to being buyers as well. They have not necessarily been hitting the best and it is so interesting that they're going to be picking up Kevin Pillar, who wound up getting a very good start to the year. He's now hitting more in the neighborhood of a 241, but you got to think that going to Coors is going to be something that is certainly going to be able to help them out. Now, it's one of these things where you've got a influx of outfielders for this team. David Dahl, Garrett Hansen, Sam Hilliard, they're all out there along with a few others, so it is going to be just so fascinating to see how they're going to be able to perform with that. It's also going to be just so fascinating when it comes to the Dodgers as to the them selling off Ross Stripling because with Ross Stripling and his move to Toronto, this is someone that he's had his ups and downs so far this year. Record is obviously good. He's went three and one, but in seven starts, 561 ERA. The big thing with him is that he just has been giving up a little bit too much contact in general. 38 hits given up in 33 and two thirds innings. That is not necessarily what you like to see when it comes to hard contact. He has given up 12 home runs so far this year, ladies and gentlemen. That actually leads the big leagues. Garrett Cole right now actually leading the American League, which I think is absolutely hilarious. But, I mean, it's just one of these things where you got to wonder how he's going to be able to pitch out there in Buffalo. So that is going to be a big topic of discussion. And for the Padres, they added another piece as well. This is someone that we already know about, Austin Nola. He wound up playing on Monday, but he wound up being shipped from the Seattle Mariners to the San Diego Padres. That was a part of a deal in which it was Taylor Trammell who wound up going to the Seattle Mariners for the Mariners as well. Taylor Williams wound up going to the San Diego Padres as well. We were talking to our good buddy Curtis Rogers on this podcast who does pre and post game work for the Seattle Mariners. He had actually emerged as one of their better relievers. And then you also had a few other relievers of the Mariners getting sold off as well, including Dan Altavilla and Austin Adams as well. So they all head to San Diego. And then you also had Jason Castro of the Los Angeles Angels wind up going to the Padres. 
Now with Castro, certainly has not necessarily been the world's best year for him. He's got a 323 on base, but just a buck 92 batting average for him. But with Francisco Mejia being banged up so far this year and them selling away Austin Hedges as well, it is one of these situations in which they did need a catcher because with these taxi squads, typically you do have to have a catcher in there unless if you have at least three catchers on the roster as well. So I think that that was a big reason for that. If I missed anything, let me know. But I think I did a pretty good job of rounding up all those trade deadline moves. Hopefully you had your pen and paper slash pencil and paper handy to be able to write those all down. It certainly is going to cause for a very interesting second half of the year. We certainly did see an interesting deadline. And with that, it should lead to some very interesting games on Tuesday. A lot of the lines are going to be off the board until the AM, but coming up next, I am going to give you a side total and breakdown of every game on Tuesday's MLB betting board and a little bit of something I like to call touch them all. That is on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And we are back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson, after giving you guys a little bit of a look as to all the trades that we saw at the deadline these last few hours, it is now that time of the podcast. They give you a side total on every game on Tuesday's MLB Betting Board and a little something you like to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. As per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order, and we do have a lot of games off the board as well, the guys that were supposed to be starting on Tuesday wound up getting traded within the last 48 hours, so this will be interesting. Buckle up for safety. We begin with 901-902 on the betting board. The St. Louis Cardinals are on the road facing off against the Cincinnati Reds. Sonny Gray goes for the Red Legs. Meanwhile, you've got Wong Hun Kim going for the St. Louis Cardinals. If you're looking at this total, it is anywhere between 8.5 and 9. It actually begun at 8, and it has quickly went up. 8.5. Over juice has anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120 juice. Meanwhile, the under is anywhere between minus 110 and even. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at a 9, the over is minus 105 and the under is minus 115. If you're looking at the St. Louis Cardinals, you're going to be getting a plus price here. That is anywhere between plus 135 and plus 145. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Reds, anywhere between minus 147 and minus 160. For Sonny Gray, it's just a ridiculous streak. He has given up six hits or fewer pretty much in the last two years. He has been doing a terrific job, but I will say this. Last time he wound up going up against the St. Louis Cardinals, he did have some trials and tribulations as he wound up going six innings in the game, but he did wind up giving up four walks and four hits in the process, so he gave up two runs, but... With that said, this is someone that has been terrific all year long. He's got an ERA that is below two. He's won 41 and two-thirds innings, 55 punch-outs, and he's only given up three home runs. Meanwhile, for Kim, he's really burst onto the scene. This is not someone that's going to be going out there throwing 95-plus, but he has a 108 ERA. He has one long relief appearance, and that's really the only form of runs that he's given up so far this year. Although, I do think that a regression is going to be coming in because 16 and two-thirds innings for him, he has given up seven strikeouts, one home run, and four base on balls. With just the sheer amount of swings and misses that he doesn't get, I do think that the Reds are going to be able to get to him now with the Cincinnati Reds. This is an offense that is scuffling, and that's putting it very politely. They were able to get a nice home run in the ninth inning of their loss against the St. Louis Cardinals on Monday, but this is a bunch that they're hitting right around 215 as a collective, but they are a feast or famine team with 53 home runs in total. Jesse Winker has been able to do a very good job for this team. He's been able to give the team right in the neighborhood of about a 325 
batting average. He's doing a good job of being able to pump out the home runs. Nick Cassianos has 10 bombs so far this year, so he has been rock solid with his 340 on base, and Joey Votto has a 340 on base as well, but he's only hitting a 225. The guys that you really need to get going, how about Eugenio Suarez along Tucker Barner, Kirk Casale, Shogo Akiyama, and Freddie Galvis. All inning a 215 or lower, and for all these guys, a 305 on base or lower. Mike Moustakis and Adi Cide Sakino are both hitting a 231, so you expect a little bit more there. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, middle of the lineup has been very good. Brad Miller has seen a regression with his batting average. He, Yadier Molina, and Dexter Feller are all hitting between a 275 and a 285, but for Miller, 432 on base. Paul Goldschmidt has been on fire. 486 on base, 349 batting average. He has been doing an absolutely terrific job of providing a little bit of everything. Paul DeYoung, Hitting a 321, he gets his second home run of the campaign. His home run numbers are so low because he wound up missing quite a bit of time due to COVID, but you've also got a couple guys that they need to pick it up a little bit. Harrison Bader, Matt Carpenter, Dylan Carlson, along Thomas out there in the outfield, and Colt Wong all hitting a 220 or lower for the Cardinals. They do have quite a few weapons out there in the bullpen, guys like... Giovanni Gallegos, John Gant should be good to go in this one. Meanwhile, for the Cincinnati Reds, they do have more of their trustworthy guys like Rossio Iglesias and company ready to go. I do think that this is a spot in which the Cardinals, who have been heating up on offense a little bit, should be able to pump out a couple runs. But keep in mind, Ryan Hazelli, he does a good job in relief along Genesis Cabrera. It looks like they're currently on the injured list along with Andrew Miller. So I do question what they're going to be able to get from the bullpen because I think that the Reds are going to be able to jump on the former KBO MVP. So for that reason, I'm going to be taking this total over, and we're going to be riding with the Reds on the run line, and as I'm seeing, if that's anywhere between plus 120 and plus 125. 903, 904 on the betting board is up next. The Toronto, aka Buffalo Blue Jays, are on the road facing off against the Miami Marlins. Eliezer Hernandez is going to be going for the fish. Meanwhile, it is to be determined for the Toronto Blue Jays. Blue Jays have acquired like three starters over the last 48 hours, so this is going to be very interesting. They wound up getting a good start out of Taiwan Walker. Will it be Ross Stripling in this spot? Probably not because I think that Stripling wound up pitching a couple days ago. So this is one of those big old mystery box specials. So you've always got to love that. And with the Toronto AK Buffalo Blue Jays, this is a team that on the road, they just haven't necessarily been able to pump out the offense that they have at home just because the dimensions in that AAA ballpark in Buffalo, very hitter friendly. But with that said, for the Toronto Blue Jays, they've been able to do a very good job of being able to hit for some average. You've got Randall Gritchick along with Teoscar Hernandez, both hitting in the neighborhood of a 295 to a 305. Von Biggio, Flag Guerrero Jr., Lords Guriel, along with Santiago Espino, all in between a 250 and a 262 as well. You do need to pick it up with guys like Joe Panic, Danny Jansen, Brandon Drury, Reese McGuire, Daniel Vogelback, Derek Fisher, all hitting a 220 or lower. And might I say, it has been a struggle for Daniel Vogelback hitting a 0.88, ladies and gentlemen. But with that said, they certainly do have some nice pop in the lineup. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Miami Marlins. This is a team that is greatly regressing on offense. But you do have a couple guys that are able to do a solid job of being able to get on base. They wound up selling off Jonathan VR, so you're not going to be able to count on him. But you've been able to get a little bit of something out of Matt Joyce and Garrett Cooper. Both these guys hitting in the neighborhood of a 280. Whenever Jesus Aguiar has been out there, he has been doing a very good job for this team, but he has been a little bit banged up. He is currently day-to-day. Francisco Cervelli is currently on the concussion injured list as well. Harold Ramirez remains out due to COVID-19, so that's been very interesting. Logan Forsyth currently out for
for the campaign. But Brett Anderson has been able to give this team five home runs. You got to think that he's going to pick it up with his average at a 222. And for Hernandez, he wound up tearing it up at the AAA level. He had something like a 120 ERA and did not give up a single home run at the AAA level over the course of nine starts during the 2019 season. He has translated that to big league success so far this year. 304 ERA, 23 and two-thirds innings. He has given up five home runs, but he's also only given up four walks, 32 punch outs. This is a very pitcher-friendly ballpark out there in Miami. Obviously, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's one because it's hard to give you really much of anything without knowing the Toronto Blue Jays and who they're going to be throwing out there. But if you're seeing a total of like eight and a half or greater, I'll probably be taking a look at the under if it is one of the arms that the Blue Jays acquired because their bullpen with guys like AJ Cole and company has been very good. But as always, this is a little bit of a mystery. 905-906 on the betting board is up next. We've got numbers on this one. The Chicago Cubs are on the road facing off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Walking the plank to the mound for the Pittsburgh Pirates is going to be Chad Cool. Meanwhile, you've got John Lesser on the bump for the Chicago Cubs. Total in this game is 9 overs anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. Unders anywhere between even a minus 105. If you're looking at the Cubbies, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 150 and minus 160. Your plus price here with the Buckos anywhere between plus 130 and plus 145. It's really hard to take the Pittsburgh Pirates at this point. I mean, they were able to get a couple runs generated against the Milwaukee Brewers, but this is still a bunch that as a collective, they're hitting right around at 220. They have been towards the bottom of the big leagues when it comes to home runs. It's just not a very ideal situation, to say the least, because so many of the guys that made this team such a good overteam during the 2019 campaign, they're just not generating any offense right now. I'm talking about Adam Frazier, Josh Bell, Gregory Polanco, Jose Azuna. All these guys are inning a 215 or lower. You've been able to get something going with a couple of these guys. Carl Moran, Kevin Newman, Eric Gonzalez, all in between a 253 and a 266. And Cole Tucker has been able to give this team something along. Jacob Songs is inning a 325, but it certainly has not been great for this team. You wound up having to use up a couple of your more than trustworthy bullpen arms as well. Nick Turley wound up coming into the game on Monday against the Milwaukee Brewers. Sam Hauser was used for two innings, so you do have that going on. Meanwhile, for the Chicago Cubs, the bullpen has been a little bit of a hot mess so far this year, and so has John Lester recently. A 4.55 ERA despite a 2-1 record so far here in 2020. You take a look at what he's done recently. In two out of his last three starts, he's given up at least five runs. Last start against the Detroit Tigers was not bad. Now, he did give up eight hits in five innings, but he only gave up one run, but that has certainly been a hallmark of his. He's given up at least eight hits in each out of his last three starts, and for the Chicago Cubs, this is an offense that has been hot and cold to say the least. The superstars have just not been out for this team. Anthony Rizzo was able to give the team multiple home runs in one of those double dip games against the Cincinnati Reds. So that's been a little bit big, but you just take a look at this team in general and the team batting average. It's towards the bottom of the big leagues. One of their top players has been Ian Happ. Ian Happ is hitting right in the neighborhood of about a 290-ish for this team. Nine home runs, 20 RBI. That has been a very nice sign for this team. Kyle Schwarber doing a good job of being able to go yard. He wound up having a grand slam in the team's game on Sunday against the Cincinnati Reds, but even his batting average just not holding up as he... Albert Almora Jr., Wilson Contreras, Jason Kipnis, David Bodie, Nico Horner, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, and the currently injured Chris Bryant, all hitting a 235 or lower. Jason Award has been hitting a 290, so that has been big for the team. Meanwhile, you take a look at what you're going to be able to get on the other side for the Pittsburgh Pirates. When it comes to the starting pitching, Chad Cool has actually been quite decent for the team. 252 ARA. He has not been 
allowed to go very far into games. I think that Chris Shelton needs to adjust that a little bit because he's actually been quite solid. Five plus innings in each out of his last three starts, so it seems like they're starting to stretch him out. He has given up one run or fewer in four out of his last five starts as well, so that is something that you're able to cling to and you're able to have a little bit of promise with. Now, he has given up five home runs in 25 innings, but Pittsburgh, not necessarily the world's greatest pitcher's ballpark, not necessarily the world's greatest hitter's ballpark, and he has been doing a good job of cutting down the walks as he's got a 11 so far this season, but in his last five starts, he has one walk or fewer in three of them. So I do think it's going to be a little bit of a lower scoring game, but I just think that John Lester is going to come out and he's going to give one of those performances where he goes like six innings, he gives up one run because that's how John Lester operates. He's Mr. All or Nothing. I think that it's going to be a good performance for him. I think that the Cubs are going to be able to then get into the Pittsburgh Pirates bullpen. So I'm going to be riding with the run line here of the Chicago Cubs. If you're looking at that run line, it's right in the neighborhood of a about even money and plus 105 and I'm going to be going with the total under as well as we're seeing it it is climbing a little bit so at minimum I'll get even juice on a nine if not a nine and a half 907 908 on the betting board is up next you've got the New York Metropolitans and they are on the road facing off against the Baltimore Orioles Escher Wojciechowski is going to be going for the Orioles meanwhile to be determined is going to be on the bump for the New York Mets I hear that he's a little bit of a mystery but has a good fastball and this is a game that's currently off the board for Wojciechowski, it certainly has been a little bit of a trial by fire. 5-1-3 ERA so far this year. Six starts, 26 and a third innings. Here's the thing, he's given up seven home runs so far this year. It is not ideal to say the least. And he has given up at least three runs in each of his last three starts, giving up a grand total of four home runs in those starts. And across those three starts, he has won, I believe, 12 and two-thirds innings. So that is not necessarily terrific with the New York Mets. This is just a team that's really hard to get a read on because they're actually towards the top of the big leagues when it comes to team batting average at a 265 and the Orioles the same with a 259 but we're seeing it with the Baltimore Orioles this is a team that they're just not generating as much offense as they were at the beginning of the year five runs or fewer in each out of their last six games this is a bunch that prior to their win on Monday was riding a five game losing streak as well as I believe that they actually enter into this game losers of 11 out of their last 14 after they got off to that very hot start and for the New York Mets as we know the bullpen is not terrific guys like Edwin Diaz and company have not necessarily been doing the world's greatest job for the team, but with the New York Mets, they do pick up the Todd father, Todd Frazier. I'm not sure if he's going to be available for this game, but that should be able to help out this lineup a little bit. And then you still have, even if you don't have Mr. Todd father, Robinson Gano hitting a 375 for 11 on base. He's been doing an absolutely terrific job there. Luis Guillorme has been also doing a good job. He's got a four-arm batting average. You need a little bit more out of a guy like an Ahmed Rosario. Pete Alonzo and Wilson Ramos. All these guys are hitting a 231 or lower, but you've been able to get Jeff McNeil on base. He's got right around a 340 on base, 270 batting average for him. Dom Smith has absolutely been terrific. 400 on base, 326 batting average, seven home runs, 26 RBI. Like what he's bringing to the table. And even Andres Jimenez, when he's not making errors out there in the field, he's been doing a solid job for the scene. Meanwhile, for the Baltimore Orioles, this is a bunch that they did wind up selling off a couple pieces at the trade deadline, but by and large, they've been keeping intact a lot of their lineup guys like Anser Alberto have been doing a great job. He's hitting well above a 300 for this bunch. Ryan Mountcastle has also been doing a very good job. He wound up having a multi-home run game a couple days ago. He has been able to give this team a 364 batting average. you got Chance Sisko singing the I'm in a 241 with a 400 on base song instead of the thong song. Jose Iglesias is hitting well above a 400 as well, so that has been just absolutely terrific for this bunch. you got a couple guys that they do need to pick it up like a Rio Ruiz Williams at the center field spot. They're hitting below the Mendoza line, but by and large, this is a bunch that they do have quite a few weapons. If the New York Mets are trotting out there 
some guy that has not necessarily gotten a lot of starting experience like a Drew Smith or a Walker Lockett, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at an over, and I might wind up siding with the Baltimore Orioles just because this is a Mets team that they're in a little bit of flux. It might take a day or two for them to get all their pieces into the lineup. As per usual, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jarris41 because there is a little bit of question as to who's all going to be available for both of these teams because they were involved with the trade deadline, so we're going to leave it at that. 909-910 on the betting board is up next. The New York Yankees are going to be playing those the Tampa Bay Hot Shell Rays. Masahiro Tanaka is going to be going for the Yankees. Meanwhile, for the Rays, it is good old to be determined. Our good buddy, he has no idea if he's going to be going out there or not, but as of right now, we've got no numbers on this game, and we know this. With the Tampa Bay Rays, they've been doing an absolutely tremendous job when it comes to these games, like Aaron Sleggers has come into a few of them. Trevor Richards, they've been able to come in, and they've been able to hold down the fort. Yoni Chirinos certainly being injured has led to a couple of these strange games for the Rays, but I believe that they've won all but one of their games against the New York Yankees so far this year. They have been absolutely tremendous with that regard, and for Masahiro Tanaka, this is someone that he has a history of getting Tanaka around by the Tampa Bay Rays. 20 and two-thirds innings in five starts so far this year. He has not went north of five innings in any of them. He has faced off against the Tampa Bay Rays once he had a very good start. That was a 1-0 loss. He pitched very well the first time around. He went five innings. He gave up one hit. The most recent start against the Rays about two weeks ago, he gave up six runs, five of which were earned over the course of four innings. So, it's been the best of times and it's been the worst of times for him. This is someone that he's not going to walk a lot of guys. He's given up three walks so far this year, but he's also given up three home runs. He doesn't necessarily have as great of swing and miss stuff as he did earlier in his career. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, this is a bunch in which they've just got functional power. This is not a team in which they're going to have a guy that's going to be going off for like 40 plus home runs, but I will say, but Brandon Lau has been doing a very good job of holding down the 410 home runs, 273 batting average for him, and then you've got Yandy Diaz, Mark Brousseau, along with Willie Adamas and Joey Wendell, Manuel Margot, all hitting a 280 or higher. Austin Meadows is back out of the fold, and even when he was in there, he wasn't necessarily doing a great job, but Kevin Kiermeyer and G-Man Choi have really been able to pick it up. Both are hitting right around at 235, but for Mr. Choi, he was able to get a home run off of Garrett Cole. He seems to be doing a better job. Kevin Kiermaier was able to get an RBI in that win on Monday as well. Now, the catcher spot with guys like Mike Zanino, Perez, and company, they have not necessarily been doing great, but this is a bunch at top to bottom. You don't really have a true weak link aside from the catcher spot, but then again, you don't have as much strength. Meanwhile, for the New York Yankees, this is a team that they're just all sorts of banged up right now. DJ LeMay was back in the fold. He and Luke Voigt hitting above a 300 for Voigt. Another home run. 13 so far this year. He's been absolutely tremendous no matter where they suck him. And despite the injuries, outfield is still been pretty solid. Brett Gardner is hitting a buck 69. That is not terrific. Jody Mercer, Aaron Hicks, Gary Sanchez, they're all hitting a 220 or lower. And Gio Rochelle starting to come back to earth a little bit. He's hitting a 240, but just having him back in there is nice. Meanwhile, Clint Frazier is hitting right around 295 on base above a 400. This is someone that you got to think that even when guys like John Carlos Sand and company wind up returning, Aaron Judge obviously as well, if they get Aaron Judge back because he's been banged up, he's still going to be able to warrant some at-bats. Mike Talkman, 354 on base. He has been solid but this is a badly banged up New York Yankees team. If you're seeing a total on this game that is north of nine and you're getting a, I will call it suitable starter for the Tampa Bay Rays, I'll probably be taking a look at the under. And as far as taking the Rays or not, if you're once again getting a plus price and it's just anyone that is 
decent for the Tampa Bay Rays. I'm talking about someone that isn't like a Diego Castillo where you've got an opener situation and you've just got the whole what you're going to do with that. I'll probably be taking a look at the Rays. Obviously, I need to know who the pitcher is before I commit to anything. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GearScorty1 for that. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting board is up next. Washington Nationals hit the road face off against Philadelphia Phillies. Aaron Supernova is going to be going for the Phils. Meanwhile, Patrick Corbin is on the bump for the Washington Nationals. Total on this game is 8.5 over and under are both at minus 110 across the board. If you're taking a look at the Nats, you're going to be finding them and we're between plus 125 and plus 138. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Phils, you're going to be laying anywhere between minus 142 and minus 150. For Aaron Supernola, he has been doing a very super job of being able to get punch out so far this year. He has been able to go a grand total of 36 innings with 48 strikeouts. And I will say this, he has given up six home runs so far this year. The nine walks are pretty solid and he's done this over the course of six starts. So he has certainly been able to give a lot of stamina. Last time he faced off against Washington Nationals, seven innings pitch, he wound up giving up two runs. But a theme that we've seen so far this year, and Chelsea Messenger on the podcast really spoke to this yesterday, is when you wind up seeing a team over and over, they start to figure out a little bit more. And for Patrick Corbin, you got to think that maybe he's going to be able to figure out this Phillies lineup a little bit better because he wound up giving up two runs over the course of six innings, which is pretty solid, but he was only able to strike out three. He was able to evade quite a bit of danger as he wound up giving up seven hits and two walks in that start. But I will say this, after he wound up giving up three plus runs in three out of his last four starts, he certainly looked a little bit better in his last outing. Now, both of these bullpens are highly suspect, and that's putting it very politely. The Philadelphia Phillies were pretty much trying to hit up every two-for-one sale that they could find on teams that were giving away relievers like the Boston Red Sox, and a lot of those guys wound up getting used up on Monday as Brandon Workman along with Heath Embry wound up seeing action on Monday. You're probably going to be without Tommy Hunter as well, and for the Philadelphia Phillies, they've been doing a good job with their power. Jay Bruce is back in the fold. He's hitting a 250. He went deep for his fifth home run of the campaign. Reese Hoskins not necessarily hitting for the world's greatest average at a 260, but 426 six on base, and Bryce Harper has a 431 on base as well, so they've been doing a great job there. Andrew McCutcheon, Gene Segura, both guys that were hitting right around like a 225 about a week and a half ago. Both of those guys are now hitting above a 255 as well. So you'd like to see that. JT Ryumito has slowed down a little bit, but he's still hitting right around a 265. He's approaching 10 home runs as well. Didi Gregorius hitting right around a 285. So they've been solid there. But for the Washington Nationals, this is a team that with their team batting average, it's actually pretty solid because you've got quite a few guys hitting at 300 or greater with Trey Turner down for what? Juan Soto and Howie Kendrick. Not far behind is Josh Harrison at a 295. You've also got Jan Gomes going. He's hitting right around 280. Now, they wound up acquiring Brock Holt from the Milwaukee Brewers. You guys know me. I was born and raised in Wisconsin. He obviously had some success in Boston, but right now he's hitting a 0.94. He's been about as useful as a poopy flavored lollipop. Michael A. Taylor hitting a buck 90 as well, so they haven't necessarily gotten a lot out of him. But Luis Garcia actually became the first player born in the 2000 millennium or whatever you want to call it. I don't know how they classify those millenniums, but 2000 or later born in that time span that hit a home run in a Major League Baseball game. So I tried to put it in layman's terms. Eric Thames has not necessarily been doing a lot, but for the Washington Nationals, Danny Hudson is going to be available in the bullpen along with Tanner Rainey. I think that Patrick Corbin is going to be able to give a good start, much like the last time these two teams faced off against each other. I think that it's going to be first of four wins, so I'm going to take this total under. I think that in this one, the Nationals are finally going to get it done, so we're going to be taking them on the money line. 9-13, 9-14 on the betting board is up next. The Atlanta Braves on the road facing off against the Boston Red Sox. Ryan Weber is going to be going for the Sox. Meanwhile, Ian Anderson is on the bump for the Atlanta Braves. Game is currently off the board because I think that both of these guys were a little bit to be determined for Anderson. He wound up coming out guns blazing in his first start against the New York Yankees. Now, granted, a very banged up New York Yankees team. 
he wound up giving up one run over the course of six innings. I think he had a no-hitter through five, if I remember correctly. But I will say this. So you take a look at his numbers from the minor leagues during the 2019 season. Got to think that there's going to be a little bit of regression. He wound up making five starts at the AAA level. He had a 6.57 ERA there. He wound up getting 9.1 strikeouts per nine innings, but 6.6 walks per nine, 1.8 home runs per nine innings. Uh, at the AA level, it was a little bit better. Right around 12 strikeouts per nine innings, 0.6 home runs per nine, but also still 3.8 walks per nine. You don't want to be giving walks to the Boston Red Sox because this is a bullpen that is very terrible. They wound up using up all their good bullpen arms, guys like Jeffrey Springs, along with Phillips Valdez and company on Monday. So they're going to be very depleted there. But with that said, if you give these guys opportunities, they're going to be able to cash in. Now, Mitch Moreland is no longer with the Boston Red Sox. You are not going to be seeing him being able to hit some bombs for this team. But for the Boston Red Sox, what they still have, Alex Verdugo is hitting a little bit above a 300 for this bunch. J.D. Martinez wound up getting the day off on Monday. But you still have out there guys like Christian Vasquez, Rafael Devers. They've wound up giving Jackie Bradley Jr. a little bit of a raise in the batting order as well. Bobby Dahlbeck is actually filling in for Mitch Moreland after he got traded. And all these guys are in between a 245 and a 255 with Vasquez. Certainly slowed down with home runs after he wound up getting like four in the first 10 days. He hasn't gotten one since then. But you also have someone in infielder Jonathan Arus, who has been able to give this team a 280 batting average. I actually really like what he's able to bring to the table. Needs to walk a little bit more, but he certainly is developing, and Xander Bogertz is hitting a 300. Meanwhile, for the Atlanta Braves, this is a lineup that is very stout, as you've got Dansby Swanson, Freddie Freeman, Marcel Ozuna, Nick Markakis, all hitting a 282 or higher, and then you've also got Ronald Acuna Jr. back in the fold. He wound up getting the day off on Monday, but he was banged up. He's been returning. Ozzy Albies still remains out, but Adam Duvall and Austin Riley are both hitting right around a 240. They been able to bring a little bit of something to the table. Need a little bit out of Johan Camargo, Ender Enciarte, and Adeni Echeria. These guys are hitting a 215 or lower, but by and large, you've been able to get some good offense with the Atlanta Braves. With the Braves, you've got quite a few of the trustworthy bullpen arms back in the fold. They wound up using up guys like Shane Green, pretty much everyone in the bullpen except for Darren O'Day on Sunday. So they needed a solid start, and Max Fried was able to give them five strong, so they should be in a little bit better shape when it comes to the bullpen for Anderson because I do think that he's going to wind up getting hit a little bit in this one. For Ryan Weber, he has been coming in in long relief, and he has been solid in long relief as a starter. He has been a little bit of a flameout, so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens here. He has went eight total games, three starts. He has only gotten 11 strikeouts in 24 innings, 11 walks, six home runs. I have a feeling that this is going to yield some runs. I'm probably going to be taking a look at an over if it's 11 or lower when it comes to the total. And I'll probably take a look at the Atlanta Braves if they're laying like minus 130-ish. But if you're winding up seeing a nice plus price with the Boston Red Sox, probably going to take a shot there. But check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GRS41 since I'm doing this without numbers. 915-916 on the betting board is up next. The Brewers of Milwaukee are going to be playing against the Detroit Tigers. Michael Fulmer goes for the Tigres. Meanwhile, you've got Josh Lindblom on the bump for the Milwaukee Brewers. If you're looking at the Brew Crew, you're laying anywhere between minus 170 and minus 185. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Tigres is anywhere between plus 150 and plus 168. Your total on this game anywhere between 9.5 and, and 9. On the 9, the over is just minus 115. The under is minus 105 on 9.5. And the over is even and the under is minus 120. With Josh Lindblom, it has not necessarily went as well as his KBO career as so far this year. He's got an ERA that is well north of 6. Now, he's doing a good job of being able to get some strikeouts, but... 
It's just one of these things where it seems like all the contact that he's giving up is really going against him. He's one of the best players when it comes to having the biggest differential between his normal ERA and his XFIP as well. So that is something that really comes to mind. And I'm also seeing the fact that we might get Adrian Hauser on Tuesday as well. So this is a big reason why this is a game that is presently off the board. Because if you wind up getting Limbloom, he has had all but one of his games go over the total with his nice 631 ERA, 36 strikeouts in 25 and two-thirds innings. But certainly has been a little bit of a trial by fire. Meanwhile, for Adrian Hauser, it has not necessarily went well for him either because I believe that both of these guys wound up starting in that doubleheader against the Cincinnati Reds a couple days ago, which is why there's a little bit of mystery on this one when it comes to Adrian Hauser. Certainly got off to a nice start to the year, which is why he's got a 436 ERA, but over his last four starts, he has given up at least three runs in every last one of them, five strikeouts or fewer in all of them as well, and he has given up a grand total of five home runs in those last four starts, so certainly has been a little bit unsightly. Meanwhile, for Michael Fulmer, it is not went well for him, and that's putting it very politely. That's because he is being used as an opener this year, pretty much. He has went three innings or fewer in pretty much all but one of his starts. He might have went three and a third in one, but I think he's went three or fewer in every last one of them. And you take a look at his last three starts. A grand total of eight and two-thirds innings, giving up ten runs, all of which were earned. I mean, this is someone that I know that he was an all-star a few years ago, but He's terrible. I mean, the Detroit Tigers have so many young arms that they are now giving a opportunity to the guys like Tyreek Scooble, obviously Casey Myers and company. So I have no idea why they have any use for Michael Fulmer whatsoever, especially in this season. I mean, he's right now giving up over three home runs per nine innings. So I certainly do think that that'll help out a Milwaukee Brewers team that well, they certainly have not been terrific so far this year. You just take a look at the guys that are getting at-bats for this team. It's not terrific. Orlando Arcee has been able to do a good job. He's one of the few guys that has a batting average that is right in the neighborhood of about a 260. You've got Luis Arreyes, who's been able to hit a 250 as well. You've also got Mark Mathis, who's hitting a 313. He also has an on-base of a 313. And Jed Gurko is hitting a 261. Those are all the guys that wound up seeing an at-bat on Monday for this team that are hitting above a 230. I mean, Kessinier is hitting right around at 2.30. Justin Smoke, Christian Yelich, Omir Nervias, Jace Peterson, Jacob Nottingham, Eric Sogard, all hitting a buck 97 or lower. It has been absolutely terrible for this team. And meanwhile, for the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that they actually come into this game very hot. They're winners of each other the last five games. They're actually 7-6 and six on the road. So I do give them a little bit of credit, but every time Michael Fulmer has been out there, it's just been a little, little bit of a hot mess for them. And this is a bunch that they are getting some good bullpen pitching out of guys like Gregory Soto and company. So that is something that you're able to rely upon. And then you got a couple guys that have been doing a good job with the batting average as well. You've got Jameer Candelario, Jonathan Scope, both hitting in that 300 range. You have been able to get Jacoby Jones and Victor Reyes going as well. They're both hitting between a 274 and a 284. And then Isaac Paredes has been able to hit right around a 260 as well. But you need something more out of Grayson Greiner. Jorge Bonifacio, Christian Stewart, Nico Goodrum, all these guys are hitting a 200 or lower, but Miguel Cabrera finally starting to pick it up. He's hitting right around at 245, and Scope has eight home runs, so that certainly has been solid. This is a spot where, regardless of the starter for the Milwaukee Brewers, I'm most likely going to take the over, and I'll probably look at a Brewers run line. This could change a little bit if we wind up seeing Lynn Bloom, and it might change based on the lineup, so check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41, but that's where we're leaning there. 917-918 on the betting board is up next. This is going to be interesting, as you've got the clue Cleveland Indians on the road facing off against the Kansas City Royals. Matt Harvey is going to be going for the Royals. Meanwhile, Zach Plesak is going to be going for the Cleveland Indians. It's a dysfunctional bowl, and fittingly, we don't have any numbers up on this game as of right now, and 
You've got Matt Arby with his 11-12 ERA, 229 whip, as I always say on this podcast. If your whip is a number that you'd be proud of for a bench press set of 10, that is not necessarily good. He has went five and two-thirds innings, giving up two home runs, four walks. He does have six strikeouts, but he's also given up nine hits. This is a Cleveland Indians team that, let's face it, they're not necessarily terrific with the bats, but they did get Josh Naylor in that trade in which they sold away Mike Clevenger, so that should be able to give them a little bit of pop. He wanted making an appearance in that game against the Kansas City Royals on Monday, so he is already with the team. You've got Taylor Naquin and Cesar Hernandez both hitting in the neighborhood of about a 270, and then Francisco Lindor has been able to pick it up. He's hitting a 266. Fran Mill Reyes hitting nearly at 300, and then you've also got Jose Ramirez hitting in the neighborhood of a 250, but you just need more out of some of these guys. Sandy Leon. Roberto Perez, Jordan Luplo, Oscar Mercado, Carlos Santana, Domingo Santana. These guys are all hitting a 215 or lower. It's just not been good for the Cleveland Indians. They wind up losing a game in which they give up two runs to the Kansas City Royals on Monday. That's just how things are going for them. Meanwhile, for the Royals, they have sold away a couple bullpen pieces, but the bullpen pitching has actually been pretty solid. Scott Barlow wound up getting used along with Greg Holland in their win on Monday, rightfully so, but you still have guys like Kyle Zimmer and company that have been able to do a good job of coming out of the pen and for the Kansas City Royals. You have a couple guys at the top that do a good job of being able to get out base. Jorge Soler along with Ryan O'Hearn, Mikel Franco. These guys are hitting between a 235 and a 255. Obviously, you got some pop in some of those bats. Hunter Dozier hitting in that 235 range as well, but he's got 395 on base. Whit Merrifield hitting a 290 as well. You like what he's able to bring to the table. You need some more out of the bottom of this lineup, though, because Nicky Lopez, Adelberto Mondesi, Alex Gordon, Bubba Starlin, Miles Valoria. These guys are all hitting a 200 lower. Now, I will say Cam Gallagher and Ryan McBroom are hitting 300 plus, so they've been able to come in and they've been able to be a little bit of a spark plug, but I mean, this is a situation in which I am just so fascinating to see how Zach Plesak comes out. We saw a lot of his teammates not necessarily back him for backing away from the team going out with Mike Clevenger and everything like that. You can say what you will about COVID-19, but we certainly do know that there's a riff in the bullpen with them, but with Plesak, when he has been pitching, he's been absolutely terrific. A buck 29 ERA. He's given up two home runs over the course of 21 innings, and those 21 innings, I believe, is over the course of three starts so far this year. He has won at least six innings in every one of those starts, at minimum six punch-outs in every one of them, so he has been doing an absolutely tremendous job there. He's only given out two walks, but you got to think that being away from the team, being at the alternate training site, has affected him a little bit. This is certainly a spot where I'm still going to be taking a look at the Cleveland Indians, most likely on the run line, but I'm a little bit more inclined to go with you over here because you also did have to go with James Karinchek out of the bullpen for the Cleveland Indians on Monday as well. He's unlikely to be able to enter into this game as they wound up having to go into that bullpen after the sixth inning because Shane Bieber was just on a very high pitch count at that time, so I'm probably going to be looking at an over and the Indians, but check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41 for that. 919, 920 on the betting board is up next. We've got numbers on this one, and this is a fascinating one. Chicago White Sox are on the road facing off against the Minnesota Twins. State with the smallest drinks in the union is sending out there Michael Pineda, or as he was known on this podcast last year, Michael Pineda. Meanwhile, you've got Dallas Keuchel on the bump for the Chicago White Sox. If you're taking a look at the Chicago White Sox here, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120, with the Minnesota Twins seeing them as high as a plus 107, as low as even money, and your total on this game is 9. If you're taking a look at this 9, the over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. The under is anywhere between even and minus 110. I am so fascinated by this one because Michael Pineda has been out all year long. He was 
very much a man that had the best of times and the worst of times during the 2019 season. His first, like, I would say eight starts, he was absolutely terrible. He winds up getting injured. He winds up coming back, and then he looks pretty solid. I mean, he was just all over the place during the 2019 season. You take a look at what he did towards the back half of 2019. He wound up being able to recapture some magic. He struggled in the middle, and it's just one of these things where you have absolutely no idea what you're going to be getting out of him. Meanwhile, for Dallas Keuchel, he's been highly consistent so far this year. 43 and a third innings. He's given up two home runs, 10 walks. Certainly not going to give you a bunch of punch-outs, 26 strikeouts so far this year, but he's also giving you life. At least five innings pitch over the last two years in all but one of his starts. So this is someone that has been highly reliable there. Two runs or fewer given up in four out of his last five starts. Three runs or fewer given up in all five of them. So he's been able to do a good job of holding down the fourth there. He has given up at least two walks in three out of his last four, but he is backed up by a lineup that we know this with the White Sox. It is fearsome. I mean, you've got Luis Robert, who's hitting nearly a 300. He's been able to give this team quite a few home runs. He's now got 10 on the season. Nick Madrigal is back. He's hitting a 400. Noah Mazar hitting at 242 is actually a downgrade for this team because you've got so many guys like Tim Anderson, Jose Abreu, Eloy Jimenez, James McCann, Robert, who I mentioned a little bit earlier, even Adam Engel hitting a 275 or higher. Edwin Encarnacion is only hitting a buck 74. He's been a little bit of an issue. And Yomer Sanchez is now back in the fold as well. I mean, you don't know what you're going to be able to get out of him, but anything is nice. James McCann has been absolutely terrific at the catcher spot as well, along with Yasmani Grandal. So, I mean, this is a very good team. And for the Minnesota Twins, five runs or fewer in pretty much each other last eight games. You expected more out of this offense. They're just not hitting for average right now. You've got Max Kepler, Jake Cave, both hitting a 215 or lower. You've seen a couple guys pick it up. Eddie Rosario, along with Marwin Gonzalez and Miguel Sano, hitting it between a 225 and a 248. Luis Arias is hitting more around a 265. Nelson Cruz has been absolutely terrific. I mean, this guy's hitting a 311, 13 home runs, 29 RBI, and Jorge Polanco hitting a 270. But they're also not walking as much as they did during the 2019 season for the Minnesota Twins. They've also got a top five bullpen when it comes to ERA, and they certainly were hurt by Max Kepler fielding error. So there was that on Monday. Day, but you take a look at what they all had to use. Taylor Rogers, Trevor May, Tyler Clippard, and Ty Duffy all went at least 23 pitches on Monday. You've got to think that all those guys are going to be out of the fold. So that means that you're going to be relying upon Lewis Sorb, Caleb Thielbar, all these guys that wind up giving the team typically like two or three innings. You got to think that Perhaps an option here is Michael Pineda only going about three or so innings. And then from there, you go to Devin Smeltzer. I think that it's a very interesting spot here. And I think that the White Sox, as they've been doing, that everyone is going to hit them and hit them hard for the White Sox. They have scored at least five runs. And now, I believe it is 10 out of their last 12 games. So I'm going to be taking a look at the over here. And I'm going to be looking at the White Sox in some form or fashion. Right now, I'm looking at the run line of the White Sox. It's at a plus 130. With the money line being so low at right around a minus 110 to a minus 120, I would like to get a little bit more, so I would have to lean to the money line here, but if the run line price winds up getting up a little bit higher, I might consider that. 9.21, 9.22 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Walker Texas Rangers on the road facing off against the Houston Astros. The Astros have yet to determine their starter, which is why this game is off the board. Meanwhile, Luis Garcia is going to be pitching for the Texas Rangers. Oh boy! He's made six appearances Garcia has so far this year. 
for five total innings. You gotta think that this is gonna be a bullpen game for the Texas Rangers, and their bullpen far from terrific. Now, keep in mind, they wound up selling off Mike Miner at the trade deadline, so that's why I think Garcia is out there. Meanwhile, on ESPN, it's listing Fran Barvaldez as the starter for the Houston Astros. He was supposed to go a couple days ago, but there were some postponements. I know that he, the Houston area has been affected by some bad weather, so I think that that was the case there. But you take a look at Valdez in his last start against the LA Angels. This was on Monday. Seven innings pitch, he did wind up giving up four runs, but in the process, he was able to get a lot of run support, and that's just been Valdez in general. In Four out of his last five starts, the team has put up at least six runs for him. So he has been one of the luckiest pitchers out there in the big leagues. He's been pretty special himself, though. 235 ERA. He has given 40 punch outs in 38 and a third innings. He has done a better job with the walks as well. During the 2019 season, he wound up walking right around five guys per nine innings. So far this year, he has issued nine walks in 38 innings. You do have to like what he's bringing to the table there with the Texas Rangers. You got to think that the long relievers like Taylor Hearn is probably going to be available to pitch in this game. You got to I think that they're probably going to be going to someone like a Nick Goody as well. Oh, Goody is what I say to that. Rafael Montero, Julie Rodriguez. They're probably going to be using every single arm that they can in this one. And for the Houston Astros, it certainly has been a little bit of a trial by fire when it comes to their offense. And this is a team that they just haven't been playing a lot. Ever since Tuesday, they have played once. And that was in that doubleheader against the Oakland A's on Saturday. But you do have a couple guys for the Houston Astros that are starting to get going. And those guys that are getting going, they're not named George Springer and Jose Altuve. Both of these guys are in a 215 or lower. But Michael Brantley is back in the fold. He, Yoli Gurriel, Kyle Tucker, Carlos Correa, all in between a 2 72 and a 292, and Josh Reddick is hitting a 280 as well. Martin Maldonado, typically a guy that's not necessarily terrific at the plate. 394 on base, 260 batting average. He's been solid there. And then when you take a look at the Texas Rangers, they wind up selling off the Todd Father, Todd Frazier, along with Robinson Torino. So, I mean, it's a big question of what in the world are we going to get here from the Texas Rangers offense? Because Joey Gallo, he is right now hitting below the Mendoza line, which is 200. And then to go along with him, you've got Sinchu Chu hitting right around at 220. Elvis Andrews has been on the injured list. He's been hitting below at 200. Danny Santana has been a hot mess. Now, I will say Ronald Guzman has come back and he's looked very good. 455 batting average, but very small sample size. Also, I have a very small sample size with Leody Tavares, but the young 21-year-old is hitting a 300. He's been able to give the team about 20 at-bats in seven games, so he's actually been able to come on, and he's been able to do a solid job. Jeff Mathis, along with Trevino at the catcher spot, have both been able to do a solid job. Nick Solak is hitting a 270, but it's just one of these things where I just think that they're running out of options when it comes to being able to produce offense, and even when they had the Todd Father in there, they weren't necessarily doing a terrific job. I've got to think that if it's going to be Fran Barvaldez, I'm going to be taking the run line here of the Houston Astros, and I've got to think that if you're setting a total on this game at like 9, I'll probably be taking a look at the over at 9.5. I probably would as well, just because I think that this is going to be an absolute bludgeoning of the Texas Rangers. I have absolutely no faith in their bullpen game whatsoever. Check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at JRSquarty1, but that's what we're looking at right Right now, 9:23, 9:24 on the betting board is up next. Fittingly, the San Francisco Giants have yet to announce a starter, and they're on the road facing off against the Colorado Rockies. And for the Rockies, it is going to be John Gray. Right now, I am seeing on ESPN it's going to be Kevin Gosman. You got to think that maybe bookmakers were a little bit hesitant because there was some rumors that Kevin Gosman might be traded. And for Gosman, he's actually been pretty solid so far this year. 48 strikeouts at 35 and two-thirds innings. Now he has given up six home runs. That has not necessarily been terrific, but he's only given up eight walks as well. His recent couple starts have not necessarily been what you'd planned. He has given up at least three runs in three out of his last five starts, but he's gotten at least six strikeouts in each out of his last five as well. He's also done a good job of being able to keep the walks down
down over his last five starts. He has given up a grand total of seven walks, so that is something that you look to. Meanwhile, for 55 shades of Don Gray, it is almost nearly a 5.55 ERA. It's a 5.45 ERA. He has been not necessarily terrific at home. Last time he wound up starting at home was against the Walker Texas Rangers. He gave up three runs over the course of seven innings, but start before that at home. He wound up getting just completely pounded by an Arizona Diamondbacks team that has lost in the shuffle when it comes to offense. He gave up eight runs in three and a third inning. So this has certainly been a man that has had his issues so far this year. Only 21 strikeouts in 36 and a third innings, 11 walks, and four home runs given up. And when you take a look at the Colorado Rockies, this is a bullpen that has been quite solid for the team so far this year. You do like what you're getting out of guys like Jario Diaz, Cesar Estevez has been able to come in, and he's been able to give this team a little bit of something as well. Now, they did have to use Jeff Hoffman out of the bullpen. He, as a starter, was a big, giant failure, but as a reliever, he's actually been halfway decent, so you do have to keep that in mind for the Colorado Rockies. This is a team that at home hits right around 300 on the road. It's certainly a little bit different, but you've got a couple guys going. Trevor Story, Charlie Blackman, Remy Tapia all hitting at 290 or higher, but the bottom half of this lineup has not been good. Brendan Rodgers is still hitting below the Mendoza line. Sam Milliard, Tony Walters, you've got Diaz who sort of plays a variety of different positions. Ryan McMahon, they're all hitting a 230 or lower, and then you've also got Matt Kemp is hitting more in the neighborhood of about a 245. Daniel Murphy, seeing a little bit of regression as well. Nolan Arenado, now hitting a 270, but it might be a little bit too late as Rockies have certainly seen some slippage. Meanwhile, for the San Francisco Giants, this is a lineup that has been very good. Mikey Stremski has been able to do an absolutely terrific job with a 280 batting average, 7 home runs, 24 RBI. Donovan Solano has seen his batting average fall, but by fall, I mean it is now at a 327. So he has certainly been able to do the job there for the San Francisco Giants as well. They've been able to figure out the pitching recently. I believe that six out of their last eight games have gone under the total. And despite that, they still got Evan Longoria hitting a 300, Brandon Belt above a 300 as well, Brandon Crawford and Mauricio Dubin between a 267 and a 275. Wilmer Flores has been hitting right around a 280. And despite the fact that Joey Bart and Chadwick Trump are both hitting below the Mendoza line in the catcher spot, they certainly have been solid. You've been getting a lot out of Tony Watson out of the bullpen. They've also really been falling in love with Sam Conrad at that closer spot as well. He has taken over for Trevor Gott, and he has got himself firing all cylinders so far this year as well. So I do think that there is a little bit of upside here with the San Francisco Giants. If you're seeing a total on this game, south of 12, I'll probably be taking it over. I think that 12 and a half will be my buy spot on the under. And if you're seeing Kevin Gosman going for the Giants at a plus price, probably be taking a look at that. But check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jarrett's 41, 925, 926 on the betting board. Was supposed to be the Oakland A's on the road against the Seattle Mariners. This has been postponed. I'm not sure why. I'm just going to assume inclement weather, but I have absolutely no idea. That's just me being honest with you. I don't care why it was postponed. All I know is that I'm not able to bet this game, so we move on to the final game on the betting board, 927-928. That would be the Arizona Diamondbacks on the road facing off against the LA Dodgers. Julio Arias is going to be going for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, Alex Young is going to be on the bump for the Arizona Diamondbacks. If you're looking at the Diamondbacks, you're getting anywhere between plus 215 and plus 235. Meanwhile, if you're looking to lay it with the Dodgers, you're laying at minimum minus 245, as high as minus 270. Certainly a position in which I'm going to be taking a look at the under here. That is my New York Post play of the day. You take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks and the LA Dodgers. They've both been in the bottom half of the league when it comes to hitting against left-handed pitching. With Arias along with Young, these are both lefties. They, both of these teams are hitting a 240 or lower against left-handed pitching. And for Alex Young, he's actually been a pretty solid starter. He's a young 26-year-old. He has made 10 total appearances, 3 starts, 23 total innings, 24 strikeouts. Now the 7 home runs, absolutely unsightly. But I do think that he's going to be able to hold it down here against the Dodgers because most of his home runs, well, they've come against the Colorado Rockies. So that has been very interesting. Meanwhile, you take a look at the flip side for Arias. He has not necessarily been able to give a ton of length, but he's backed up by a bullpen 
bullpen that has topped out there in the National League. When you take a look at Arias, it looked like he got a little bit banged up in one of his starts against the Seattle Mariners. He only recorded five outs in that one. Meanwhile, he wound up bouncing back against the San Francisco Giants. Did give up four runs, but he was able to go a full four innings. He did have his good plus stuff as he was able to get six strikeouts. So that is something I'm certainly taking a look at. The Dodgers, to the surprise of many people, weren't really buyers at the trade deadline. They actually wound up selling off Ross Stripling. So I thought that that was very interesting. And you still got a couple guys that they need to pick it up with their batting average. Gavin Lux, Kike Hernandez, Jock Peterson, along with Matt Beattie, Cody Bellinger, Max Muncy. These guys are all hitting a 238 or lower. Now you've been able to get Will Smith going a little bit more, but he's still hitting a 208. Mookie Betts has been terrific. Ian Corey Seager are both hitting above a 295. And for Betts, 11 home runs, 26 RBI. As they would say in the song for the Karate Kid, he's the Betts around. And you've got A.J. Pollock hitting right around 260 as well. Meanwhile, you take a look at the Arizona Diamondbacks. The Marte Parte got broken up. I mean, that makes me so sad. You don't have Catella and Starling Marte. I believe, if I remember correctly, it was Starling Marte that wound up becoming a member of the Miami Marlins. But I think you've still got Catella Marte as far as I'm seeing. You've got Cole Calhoun is hitting right around at 212 for this bunch. David Peralta is winning at 280 and Christian Walker nearly at 300. But then you've got Eduardo Escobar, Jake Lamb, along with Carson Kelly, all hitting below the Mendoza line. You need to find a way to replace the Marte Parte as well. And I don't think it's going to be anything good. I mean, whenever Kevin Cron has been in there, it's been a hot mess. Archie Bradley winds up leaving the Arizona Diamondbacks. But I will say this, the long relief pitching of the Arizona Diamondbacks is been actually quite decent. I know that Stefan Kicktrin has been called upon for multiple innings quite a bit so far this year. Kevin Ginkle has not been good, but guys like Junior Guerra and Guerra has some um, starting experience. have been able to do a solid job for this team. I think that they're going to be able to keep the Dodgers in check. And with Arias, he has just been a little bit erratic in his last couple starts. It just feels like there's something that's bothering him. And I actually have some faith here in Alex Young. So I'm going to be taking this little under and I'm going to be riding with the big plus price here of the Arizona Diamondbacks recognizing that the Arizona Diamondbacks have scored two runs or fewer in eight out of their last 11 games. And that will wrap things up for the Baseball Betting Podcast on this Tuesday. Big thanks to myself for rounding up all the trade deadline moves. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And if you ever have any questions for the podcast, write it into my timeline at your score. You won. Hopefully you're all safe, healthy, and doing well. I will talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.